So money is not always a rational topic, is it? Money can be slightly, I won't say irrational, although it can be, but money is, is very emotional. Uh, we're pretty emotional when it comes to our finances. Uh, we get this uh, endorphin high when we acquire an unexpected windfall. When we get uh, a bunch of money, it can really uh, be this uh, huge like rush. Uh, when we get to that place of, of getting a lot of money, we get stressed out and we experience anxiety when we don't have enough money to cover our uh, debts. And, and if we're not careful, instead of managing our money as we should be doing, uh, we can be controlled by the very thing that God has entrusted to us to manage. Uh, money is really more of a heart issue than a head issue for most people. For most people, money is very much a heart issue. And that's why it matters so much to God. Because God knows how important money is to you and to me. And God isn't concerned about your money. But he's critically interested in where your heart is at. And in Matthew 6, 24, it's a verse we've read many times. It says this, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And that's why we're spending some time in Proverbs where the wisest man who has ever lived gives us some incredible guidance regarding money and our relationship to money. He wrote the Proverbs to three types of people, to the wise, to fools, and to the simple. So this is a quick review uh, from last week. Wise people are people who know the right thing to do in their mind, and then with their body, they actually do it. Remember, that's, that's what the beard is all about. Uh, Proverbs is an ancient Jewish writing and an, an ancient Hebrew writing full of wisdom, and the beard in ancient Israel was a symbol of connecting the mind with the body. It bridged that gap of knowing the right thing to do and actually doing it. Uh, so Solomon also writes the Proverbs to the foolish. And foolish people, according to Solomon, are those who know the right thing to do. They know what it is, but they don't do it. And so that gap between knowing the right thing to do on one hand and actually doing it over here, that gap, Solomon would call that foolishness. So our goal in this series is to decrease that gap, that we begin to put into practice the things we know to be true, and increase in wisdom. Now the third group he writes to, he refers to as the simple, the simple-minded. Uh, they aren't really thinking about their life at all. They just, they're on autopilot. They just do things. They're living life, but they're not thinking about why. And the truth is, for all of us, we're, we're wise, we're foolish, and we're simple. We're all of the above. In some areas, we're practicing wisdom. In some areas, we're being foolish. We know what we should be doing, but we're not. And in some areas, we're just not thinking about it at all. We're on autopilot. And again, Solomon, wealthiest man that ever lived. He'd be a trillionaire in today's dollars. That's the kind of person that you want to learn about wealth from. And some of you may think it's odd to talk about money in church uh, in, you know, as a sermon series. But like we talked about earlier, God wants your heart. That's his critical concern. And he also wants to bless you. God is not trying to get anything from you. When God talks about money in the Bible, what he's trying to do is bless you. When God talks about money in the Bible, and the Bible talks a lot about money. 
When God talks about money in the Bible, what he's trying to do is bless you. So if you haven't started reading the book of Proverbs, I hope that you will. It's a really practical book. There's a lot of really practical uh, guidances, stuff about just how the world works. And it's a really great book to read on a regular basis to keep coming back to. But today we're going to look at the most famous of all the Proverbs. If there was one proverb that kind of towered above the rest uh, and was the most familiar to people, even those who are outside of the church world, uh, this would be it. And, and here's what's going to blow your mind today as we go through this. There are these two verses, the first two verses that we're going to read out of this group of verses. These two verses are about money. And here's what's interesting. Nobody realizes that. Nobody knows it because they pull these two verses out on their own, and, but they don't read what comes after. And we're going to read Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 12. That's where we're going to get. And we find in there the two most famous verses in the whole book of Proverbs. Some of you have these two verses stitched on a pillow somewhere in your house. You've got a magnet on your refrigerator that has these two verses. You've got a plaque in the bathroom of your home and it has these two verses on it. Or you've got a precious moments figurine and they're holding something that has these two verses on it. It's everywhere. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And here's the thing. Uh, these two verses... They are in the context of money, which really is going to blow some of your minds. You're not, you've never realized this before. So before we dive into the verses, I just made a list of things throughout the book of Proverbs that Proverbs tells us if we practice these things, that this would be the result. So if we live out Proverbs, if we live according to the wisdom that Solomon has brought to us, these are the things that will go along with it. You will get these benefits from living out the teachings of Solomon. Listen closely because this is a long list. Here we go. Knowledge, discretion, good judgment, preservation and protection, success, better health, longer life, honor, financial abundance, favor with those in authority, commendation and promotions, financial independence, confidence, strength of character, courage, achievement, personal fulfillment, great relationships, a meaningful life, the love and admiration of others, understanding, and overall true wisdom. Now that is a pretty amazing list of benefits that come to us because of uh, just putting into practice what God has written to us in his word. That sounds pretty good. And at the heart of all of this, it begins with these two verses that we're going to start with today in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your, watch this next word, with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. In other words, trust God in everything. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, let me say this. There's this theme all the way through the book of Proverbs, and the theme is this being on the right path, following along on the right path. We need to understand this. You cannot not be on a path. You cannot not be on a path. In every area of your life, in every area of my life, in every decision that we are making, that decision leads us somewhere. That decision sets a direction for our lives. And that's what it means to be on a path. Uh, you ever watched a movie and, and there was a warning 
uh, that's built into this movie. And the warning was when this person or when this group was traveling from this place over here to this place over here, the warning was make sure you stay on the path. Don't get off the path. No matter what happens, stay on the path. Uh, the biggest one for me is, is The Hobbit, you know, when they're going through Mirkwood and they were told, do not deviate from the path, do not get off the path. And, you know, and there's plenty of examples for this in movies and stuff, but does that sound familiar? And if they wander from the path, then bad things are going to happen if they get off the path. Um, but you know what the other ubiquitous thing about these movies is? They never stay on the path. Anytime you hear somebody told, don't get off the path, stay on the path, you can be sure that within the next few minutes, somebody's leaving the path and they get out inevitably. They always know a shortcut. They have something they need to do first. They know better than the person who told them. They feel like it's too dangerous, whatever it is. And it never ends well because when you get off the path, bad things are going to happen. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen somebody in their life and they're starting to make a decision and you're watching their life and you're watching the decision that they're about to make and you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is headed someplace bad. This is not going to end well. And maybe you didn't say anything and a few months passed or a year later they arrived at that destination and you knew that's where they were going to go the whole time. And they're like, how did this happen? And you're thinking to yourself, well, it happened way back there when you got on that path that led to this place. Maybe so you know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you have experienced that personally. You've been there. And don't look at that person right now if they're in the room with you. Just look at me. But we have those moments in our lives where these people go down a wrong path, where we choose a, a we make a decision that leads us down a path that we should not be on. Okay, here's what we just read. You want to trust the Lord with all your heart and you want to seek his will. Why? Because he will keep you on the right path when we do that. When this was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, there were no automobiles, there were no paved roads. And so when you would travel from one place to another, you would travel a path. You would walk down this path. That's the idea. You don't want to be on the wrong path. You want to be on the right path. And here's what you need to understand about the direction that God leads. His path protects. His path protects. His path protects you. It keeps you from harm. Some people have this idea, and, and you know, because we grow up and we, we have all these rules and we don't understand them, we have this idea that God's trying to bum us out, you know, to kill our fun, that that's God's purpose. God does not want to bum you out. All of his commands and all of scripture is there not to depress you, but to bless you. It's there not to depress you, but to bless you. And one of the blessings of following God in every area of your life is protection. When we follow God's commands, we are protected. And here's what I mean right now. If you are married, you are on a path in your marriage. If you're married, you are on a path in your marriage. You're either on a path to closer intimacy with your spouse, or you're on a path distancing you from your spouse. Either you're getting closer or you're getting further away. You cannot not be on a path. However you're thinking in your marriage, however you're acting in your marriage, it is leading you somewhere. In your parenting, 
you're on a path. In your finances, you're on a path. In your career, you're on a path. In your friendships, you're on a path. You cannot not be on a path. And so the first part of this section of Proverbs is trust God with every path of your life. Why? Because he will show you which path to follow. His path protects. It's not to depress you. It's to bless you. And there are times where we ignore that. Obviously, we all have ignored God's teachings at some point in time when we go our own way instead of his. And that's really my most simplistic definition of sin. Sin is where we decide our path is more important than God's path. That's what the Bible refers to as sin. And that's when we need to hear, stay on the path. We need to hear that warning. When you get outside of what God is saying in your life, we need to hear like the theme music from Jaws. You know what I'm talking about? We need to hear that. I mean, because in the movie, anytime you hear that music, you know, okay, somebody needs to move and they need to move quickly. They need to get out of the water. They need to get back on the boat. They need to have something happen because there is a really large shark that's now in the area. I wish we had warning music that would play in our heads every time we were about to make a bad decision. Because I'm telling you, getting off of God's path is headed somewhere and it's not good. So the first idea here in this passage is his path protects. Now, Proverbs 3, 7 is the next verse. And it says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Now, this all goes together. This all goes together. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Hey, shouldn't we stay on this path? Don't worry. I know a shortcut. Stay on the path. No, instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When you see fear the Lord in your Bible, when you see that phrase, what it's referring to is respect. That's what it means, giving God the respect he deserves. Respect God, and you want to respect everything that God says because he loves you and he's for you. God has your best interests in mind. And so uh, here's what this all means. Any area of your life where you know you are off the path, and you probably have areas right now that you could identify and say, I am off the path right now. I'm not living in accordance with how God wants me to live, with what the Bible teaches I should live. That's what it means. Respect. Any area, of, turn away from that and get back on the path. Have you ever heard the biblical word repent? That's what it means. It means to do a 180. You're headed away from the path, 180, repent, get back on the path. That's what we're doing. Now, verse 8, the next verse. Proverbs 3, 8. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. You will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Look at the promise here. Because with Proverbs, there's an idea here of how life usually works. And there's a blessing that comes from doing what Proverbs teaches. So let's put this together because it all goes together. Trust God with all your heart and all your ways. That will protect you. Here's the second thing it will do. His path brings peace. His path brings peace. I read an article last week, two greatest causes of health issues in America. Let me tell you what they are. One is not eating right. That should surprise no one. 
Anybody shocked by the fact that we as Americans don't eat right? Uh, that le It's the greatest cause of health issues in America is the fact that we don't eat right. The second cause, guess what it is? Stress. Stress is the number two cause of health issues in America. And here's what you need to know. When you align yourself with God in every area of your life, here's what's going to happen. Your stress will be less and your peace will increase. When you align yourself with God in every area of your life, your stress will be less and your peace will increase. Every one of us was designed to know God and to live according to his plan that he has for us. That's how your soul is wired to respond to the world. The only thing that can satisfy the thirst of our soul and, and the desires of our mind is God. He's the only one. Through faith in Jesus, we enter into that relationship with him. Any area of your life that you are trusting in something more than you're trusting God, anytime you put something up here, here's going to be the result. Stress, stress, and more stress. And here's why. If you trust in money more than you trust in God, you're going to be stressed. Because money is unstable. We might love money, but money does not love you back. Money will abandon you like that. Some of us, we trust our job and our job becomes everything to us. We try to find, you know, or your job is, is, is something that is really, really significant. But you're going to be stressed out because your job, and I hope it never happens, and I pray that it doesn't happen, but some of you are already living in this reality because of the, the job market and the situation because of quarantine and all of that, where your job leaves you. And it happens. And one of these days, when you're done with your job, when you retire, your job doesn't care because it's just a job. Your job doesn't love you back. Any area of life is like that. And if you're trusting another human being to fulfill all the longings of your soul, two things are going to happen. They're going to be frustrated and you're going to be disappointed because you're putting something on them that the weight of which they cannot carry and you'll be stressed out in every relationship that you have. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the book of Proverbs. You ready? The book of Proverbs teaches, and this is a principle all throughout scripture, that when you trust in God and you get back on the path, you can have the job too. But you enjoy the job the way God wants you to enjoy it because you're not looking for ultimate satisfaction in your job performance and the rewards that come from it. You've got God in the middle of your job, which means you can actually enjoy it. And when God trusts you with money, you've got God at the center of your money so you can actually enjoy what he's given you. And, and, and when you practice romance in the way that God intended you can have God at the center of that relationship and you'll actually grow through that and you'll enjoy it. Any area of our lives where we're worried, we're stressed out, we're not at peace, any area of your life where you are stressed out, ask yourself, am I on God's path? Have I put him first in that area? Because stress comes when we leave the path. And if the answer is no, I'm not on the path, here's what I would invite you to do. Get back on it. Stay on the path. Don't just think about it. Use wisdom. Connect that knowledge that you've been given with action. God loves you. He wants you to thrive. He's not trying to depress you. He's trying to bless you. So his path protects and it brings peace. Now verse nine, and remember all of this is connected. Here's verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth 
and with the best part of everything you produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth, in other words, what you have accumulated, and with the best part of everything you produce, in other words, what is coming in. Another way to translate that uh, best part of everything you produce is the first fruits. You see that phrase used in different translations of scripture. Before you honor anything else with what you produce, with what you make, honor God with that first. That's the principle that we're taught in Romans 3, or Pro, Pro, Romans, Proverbs 3.9. Then in verse 10, we see the result of that kind of wisdom in Proverbs 3.10. Then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So his path protects, his path brings peace. And then he starts talking about money, right? In sequence. Now, remember where we started. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. One of the most famous passages in the entire Bible Many of you have it up somewhere in your house. And what we see now is that this is connected with what you do with your money. And here's why. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, wealthiest man that ever lived, Solomon knows that where your money goes, that's where your heart goes. They are connected. And when you and I begin to trust God with our money, then everything else begins to fall into place around it. When we trust God in that area, it becomes easier to trust God in some of these other areas. And the opposite is true as well. If you will not trust God with your money, then there's a bunch of other things you're not going to trust God with either. You put money under the lordship of God, you're going to start putting other things under there as well. And we read earlier that Jesus said in Matthew 6 that God has no greater competition for the top spot in your life and mind and in your heart than money. Jesus himself called it out and said, that's where the competition is. He talks about worry and all sorts of different things in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives this incredible sermon and talks about all these different life-controlling issues. And then he says this, you cannot serve two, two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the one that he identifies. And this is why he puts it in the context of trusting God with everything. Start here and the rest falls into place. So his path protects, his path brings peace, and number three here, his path provides plenty. He will provide what you need. His path provides plenty. How life generally works is when you honor God with your money and give to him first, the rest of your money, if you're willing to honor God and give to him first, the rest of this, it's likely you're gonna be managing God's way. We're going to talk about that uh, next week. And the natural result of that is that you will have more than enough. Now, there's some different thoughts out there taught in churches about how money works and what the Bible teaches or does not teach with regard to money. So let me explain this one. There's poverty theology. There's prosperity theology. And then there's what I believe and what I teach here at Trilogy, and that's generosity theology. Now, poverty theology is this idea that if you're rich, you're evil, and if you're poor, you're righteous. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches. I, I talked a little about that last week and about different categories and classes of people, and you can go online and watch and listen to that sermon. If you missed it, I go into some detail on that. The second big thought is prosperity theology. Now, these are the, the preachers that say, if you send in $100, God's going to bless you with $1,000. Uh, maybe some of you have heard that before. That's prosperity theology, and that's not what the Bible teaches either. 
The idea that if you give to him, God is obligated to give you 10 times as much back. That's not what the scriptures teach either. And that idea says that if you're rich, it's because you have faith. And if you're poor, that's because you don't have faith. And that's just not what the Bible teaches about faith. So it's not poverty theology. It's not prosperity theology. What's being taught here is generosity theology. That God is the owner of all things. And because God is a generous God and he gives to us, we need to be a generous people and give to him and trust him. And we acknowledge him as the owner of all things. One way to think about this, what you think you own is really just on loan. What you think you own is really just on loan. Ultimately, everything comes from God. Your house, your wealth, your job, your spouse, your family, the breath that you breathe, everything comes from God. And so one day we will give an account as managers, and the biblical word for that is steward, uh, as stewards, uh, to the owner of all things. We're going to give an account to him because he's given us, entrusted us with some things to manage while we're here. Right now, your breath and my breath, they're on loan. And one day the owner of all things will take that back and we'll, we're going to stand before God and we'll give an account of our lives. And here's the context of the verse. When you acknowledge that God owns everything and you as a manager choose to manage things the way he wants it managed, the natural result of that is he will entrust you with more. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, you think about it. You manage it the way the owner wants you to manage it. Uh, the natural result is that the owner is going to entrust you with more. And that's the theme of this verse here. So as we wrap up things today, I want to help you learn how to honor God with your wealth and what that looks like. There's three different ways to honor God with your wealth, to stay on the path. Uh, and so th these all begin with P because I'm a preacher and I like things to be easy to remember. So this is the three P plan for honoring God with your wealth. The first P is priority. Priority. And here's what we just read. That in everything that you produce, you respond to God first. Make God the priority. Anytime you get income, you acknowledge first where it came from and you give to God first. It's a priority. Okay, that's what we just read. So priority is the first P. The second P is percentage. The principle of percentage is found all throughout the scriptures. Because the problem is we can get this idea that we're generous because at some point last year we gave 50 bucks in an offering. And I'm not going to downplay that because for some that's a, that is a sacrificial gift that you made. But Maybe you just felt a twinge in your heart and you gave 50 bucks. And so anytime somebody says, are you greedy or are you generous? You think to yourself, well, I gave 50 bucks that one time. So obviously I'm not, I'm not greedy. I'm a generous person because I gave. And you might make $50,000 a year. But anytime somebody says, are you generous? You go back to, well, I gave 50 bucks. Okay, here's what the Bible teaches on this. We're going to get real practical here. Percentage giving is what God desires from us. Now, the most common word you've probably heard in this area of percentage giving is tithe. And I don't want to get hung up on that word, but that is a percentage word. It literally means 10%. Uh, so all throughout scripture, what God praises and what he commands from us is percentage giving. I mentioned the widow uh, last week who gave her best. 
uh, and Mark 12, beginning in verse 41, offerings are being given at the temple. People are bringing their offerings to the temple and people are giving to God first. So in the Old Testament, to give to God first, you went to the temple. Uh, and that's where you would give your first fruit offerings. In the New Testament, after Jesus left the scene, to give to God first, you would give through his church that he established. The church is the bride of Christ. It's the way that God fulfills his work in the world. And so to give to God first, you give to the church. You pick a percentage and you do that. And before you think, because, uh, you know, the natural thought would be, well, Jeff is just trying to get more money in the church account. Uh, I want you to know right now, it does not matter to me where you give. You, you people who are faithfully supporting Trilogy and you've been giving since the beginning, I want you to know you are not the provider for Trilogy. God is. You're not the provider for me and my family as we're pastors of the church and we draw our support from the church and we are incredibly blessed and we are provided for and cared for and, and we love all of you who faithfully give and it's amazing. But you're not our providers, God is. And so it doesn't matter to me where you give. Pick a church where you're being fed and where you think God is doing something and give. If you're being fed at Trilogy, you should give here. If you're not, if you're not finding community here, if you're not growing in your relationship with God, then you should probably find a church where you can grow and start giving there. It's that important. It's not that important to me. It's that important to God that we give in that way. But in this story, this widow is going to give her little penny and all these rich people are in line ahead of her. So she's kind of walking through the line and she's got her penny and all these rich people are walking and they're giving their thousands and they're making a big deal about how much they're giving and, and everybody's watching. Whoa, this guy gave $100,000, it's amazing. Now this widow walks up and she gives her penny and drops it in and she, you can imagine she might be a little embarrassed or she just kind of drops it in there and you hear this little clink. And Jesus stops and he sees it as a teaching moment. And he says, this woman has given more than everybody else. Okay, now you read that and you think, way to go, Jesus. You know, stick up for the little guy. But that's not the point of this message. Jesus is not stick, sticking up for the little guy. I mean, how much did the woman give? Jesus said that when she gave her penny, she gave more than everybody else. So hear this now, because she gave all that she had. What Jesus is recognizing is not that she gave a penny. Jesus is saying they may have given a lot, but really it wasn't that much because Jesus is examining not the gift, but the percentage. Jesus is looking at the sacrifice involved. She gave a little, but really it was a lot. Why? Because she gave 100%. So it's percentage that Jesus is acknowledging here. God is not about equal giving, but about equal sacrifice. God wants us to sacrifice. He wants us to give on a percentage basis. So as we have some, we give us a little bit. As we get more, we give more. And as God blesses and, and we increase, we give even more. But we make it a priority. We, we acknowledge God with our wealth. We honor him first. We make it a priority. You make it a percentage. And the third P that I want to teach you with how to honor God with your wealth is progressive. Progressive, which means you continue to grow in this discipline of generosity. That it's not static, it's not a one-time decision, but this is always growing, always increasing uh, throughout our lives. 
So we're talking about percentage giving. And again, the most common percentage word we see in, in the Bible is tithe. That means 10%. But I want to stress this today because this isn't a pass fail here. That's where the word progressive comes in. If you hear 10% and you're freaking out, 10%, I, there's no way I can give 10%. Then pick a percentage. Pick a percentage. Because the goal here is to get on God's path. That's my goal in teaching this to you today is that you would get on God's path and God's path would be percentage giving. So even if you're giving zero right now, you haven't yet taken that step of faith and begun to sacrificially give and you get on the path of 1%, you're getting on the path and that's where you want to be and then it can progress as time goes on. But make a decision, prioritize giving, make it a percentage, and then progress and continue to grow. Make sense? Priority, percentage, and progressive. Now you have the knowledge. We've, I've, I've given you what Proverbs teaches us here and, and the rest of scripture. But as we've learned already, we can't stop with knowledge. We need to connect the head with the rest of the body. That's wisdom. We need to live this out. So when you take what you know and you apply it, then you're walking in wisdom. Obviously, our goal is, is to become more like Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's our goal in our lives. We want to become more like Jesus. Because uh, let me help you with what Jesus gave you. Jesus gave you 100%. That's what Jesus gave. Remember the cross? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus gave everything. We become more like Jesus when we increase our giving and serving. You want to become more like Jesus? Increase your giving and serving. That's what Jesus did. He came to seek and save. He came to give his life. Jesus gave and he served. That is what his life looked like. That's the core of what it means to follow Jesus. So here's what I encourage everybody to do in the context of giving. Take a step towards Jesus. In that context of giving, take a step towards Jesus. If you're like 0%, even if you go to 1%, I'm telling you, God honors that because what happens is you're taking a step of faith and you're beginning to get on the path with him. Now, if you grew up in church and maybe you've been giving 10% your entire life, I want to encourage you to get progressive with that and increase that to grow. And if you're wondering right now, what, what does Pastor Jeff and Melissa do? What, what, what do they practice? We're at progressive. We made a decision long ago that we wanted to continue to grow. So we've, we've, pushed past that threshold and we're continuing to give on a percentage basis uh, as God provides for us. Because I'm not ever going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do, that I don't believe is biblical and I'm not doing my best to connect the head and the heart and live that out with wisdom. But keep growing, keep moving toward Jesus in every area of your life. Now 2 Corinthians 8, 7, this kind of uh, spells it out for us. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel, and the sense of this word excel is to grow, expand. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So Paul is challenging the church here in Corinth to grow in their giving, to let it develop and increase. So let's get real practical because math can be hard. So I'm going to help you figure it out right now. Think about your annual household income. Uh, if you want to go for 
which is a great target, most common percentage word in the Bible, then all you have to do is take off a zero. It makes the math easy. So if you make $50,000 a year, take off a zero, that's $5,000 a year that you would give. And then determine how often you get paid and do some math. So if it's uh, $50,000 a year, $5,000 will be 10%. You get paid every other week, let's say. That's 26 times a year. So you divide $5,000 by 26. You get $192.31 every other week that you would give. That's, that's percentage giving. Uh, that's just how the math would work out. Now, if 10% is blowing your mind and you're like, I can't, I, I don't think I can trust at that level at this point, then pick a percentage. If it's 5%, do the math. If it's 1%, do the math. And make a commitment to the Lord and get on the path and begin following him along that path. And if you want to take a step of faith in your generosity story here at Trilogy, the best way is online giving. In fact, at this point in time, other than sending a check in the mail, it's really the only way uh, to give since we're not yet back meeting in person. You can sign up online at give.trilogy.church. Super simple website to remember, give.trilogy.church and begin giving. And you can even make it automatic if you want. If you've got that set amount, and, and some people have said, well, uh, I don't want to make it automatic because then I, I, I'm not really making that choice. The choice is being made for me. And if that's your conviction, awesome. Then set yourself a reminder and go online and do it and whatever, however it works for you. But things that are important to us, we automate in life. You know, we don't want to miss our mortgage payment. That's important. So we make sure we automate that so it comes out, our bills, you know, those types of things. We automate things that are important. So, uh, and I always... Take a moment every week, even though we don't pass offering plates, I will always take a moment in our services to talk about generosity. It's a great time for all of us to remember those commitments that we have made to God and the priority that we have placed on giving in our faith story. And so we're always going to have those moments to remember. So automating it may be one way that works for you. But the idea is to take the step and get on the path with God. His path protects. His path brings peace. His path provides plenty. And then the last two verses here, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So Solomon ends this whole thought with this point. Solomon is saying, look, God loves you. And if you stray from the path, because he loves you, he's going to let you. And, and he's going to let you deal with the consequences. You're going to suffer the consequences of getting off the path because getting off the path of what God has chosen for us does not end well. And the reason he's going to let us suffer those consequences is so we'll be wise and get back on the path. Does that make sense? I mean, that's what I do as a parent. Sometimes I will let my kids make a mistake and they'll learn from that. But I'll teach them first. I'll help them. I'll point the right way. And then sometimes they will choose not to walk in that way. And that is what God is saying here through Solomon at the end of this. Whatever area of life it is, trust God with it, which brings us to number four. His path is for my good. His path is for my good. He's not trying to depress you. He wants to bless you. There really is no better way to live. His path is for my good, which brings us to the final thought. And it's the thought for the whole series here. It's not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. That's what's significant, and that's what we're talking about here. And so trust him in whatever area of life that it is. Right now we're talking about finances, we're talking about wealth, and we need to trust him in that area. But that, 
principle, it's not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us applies to every area of our lives. Next week, here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to talk about how to build wealth and we're going to learn from the wealthiest man that ever lived and it's going to be a lot of fun and I hope you guys will make sure to be here next week because we're going to talk about some biblical principles for building wealth, how God wants us to manage our money after we've lived out that first principle of prioritizing him and giving to God first. So let's close today with some prayer and just ask God to help us and to to allow us to connect now the knowledge with living it out. God, we thank you for this time that we've had together today. And God, we thank you for the blessing of your word, the blessing of the principles that you've given us for how we should live our lives. And God, we, uh, we also thank you today for all of the things that you have entrusted to us. God, you've given us so much. And we, we are a blessed people. And God, as you have entrusted things to us, I pray that you would help us to steward, to manage what you've entrusted to us in the way that you've laid out in scripture that we should manage it. Everything from our families to our finances, to our careers, to our relationships. God, let us steward all of those things well. And God, as we've talked through kind of some different ways that we can honor you with how we uh, manage our wealth. God, let us make giving a priority. God, help teach us percentage giving, sacrificial giving. And God, I pray that you would help us to be progressive and constantly growing in our discipline of giving. God, at the end of the day, it would honor you God, it would help to grow the church and provide for the church to continue to be uh, the light in this community that you've called us to be. And God, it would lead to our protection. It would lead to our provision. It would lead to our growth and our blessing. God, we thank you that uh, the principles of your word are true and we want to live it out. Be with us today, God. Uh, Help us to make decisions this week that honor you in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.